It's time to bid this old world goodbye Oh glory, time to fly away We'll meet our Savior in the sky Hallelujah, the 21st of May Things are going to fall apart, Jesus says. Check. Nations will rise up against each other. Check. There are going to be wars and insurrections. Check and check. Earthquakes, famines, plagues. Who knew that one was a thing we were going to have to talk about? Check, check, check. Sinner, heed these words of mine About the coming judgment day Yes, the end is drawing nigh Hallelujah, 21st of May Oh, glory, time to fly away. We'll meet our Savior in the sky. Hallelujah, the 21st of May. Sinner, heed these words of mine about the coming judgment day. Yes, the end is drawing nigh. Hallelujah, the 21st of May. These are the lyrics of the song they just sang. Yes, I asked Paul a couple weeks ago to sing it because today is Apocalypse Sunday. Yay! Right, right? It's not anybody's favorite Sunday of the year, literally no one's favorite Sunday of the church year, but here it sits every year between All Saints Sunday and Christ the King Sunday, which leads us into Advent. Apocalypse Sunday changes texts each year, the, the gospel changes each year, but every time on this Sunday, we get some version of Jesus talking to his disciples about the destruction of the temple. I think just to start us off, it's important to note that when this text was written, the temple had actually fallen. So the Gospel of Luke was written after the fall of the temple. At this point, it was not a threat, but a reality that they were living in. So the early church never, ever heard these texts and panicked about the end of the world coming to them. They never once heard it this way. I asked Paul to sing this song because we don't really love to think about the apocalypse, but boy, do we love to predict it. We do love to make assumptions about the end of the world and how things happening now are some kind of sign that the end is drawing nigh, right? This song was written by guitarist Sean Watkins of Nickel Creek from the standpoint of Harold Camping, um, who was a California preacher who forecast May 21st, 2011 as the end of the world. Shocker. Guess what? Still here, Harold. Still here. Uh, some may think this text in front of us may help us in our own end-of-the-world predictions. But literally taking anything more than a surface-level glance at this story will tell us it's about something a lot more. So we're going to talk about it. This placement of the story in the church year matters, as I said. Last week, we rang the bell and lamented together those who have died in this last year. Next week, Christ the King Sunday, we are going to stand and declare that against everything else that could be king in our world, that could occupy a throne in our world, it is Jesus who is king. Christ is king. So in between these two things, we have this. Not a stone will be left undone. I think it matters that things falling apart started happening for us a bit last week. And that we need to remember who Christ is king, that Christ is king once everything has crumbled. And we'll get to that next week, right? 
this is why this particular Sunday matters, right where it's stuck in the church season. Now, the disciples were visiting Jerusalem, and they were gawking a bit. We can't blame them. Who of us hasn't felt the same way going to New York City for the first time, or stepping into St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, or maybe viewing the Great Pyramids in Egypt? Standing next to any man-made structure like that, who hasn't marveled at the ingenuity and beauty that is possible by human hands. It's incredible. When Herod the Great reconstructed the temple, he did it with awe in mind. The retaining walls of this temple were made of stones 40 feet long. That's roughly the size of a school bus. Each stone was a school bus stacked. Rumor has it, historians believe, that uh, Herod used so much gold plating on the outside that if you stared at it while it was in sunlight, you could go blind. I love that fact. That's so extra, and I love it a lot. It was an awe-inspiring place. Its purpose was awe. And the disciples are having very appropriate feelings about it. Look at this, they say to each other. It is incredible. It is so beautiful. Obviously, this is where God is. If God's going to choose a place to hang out, it's here, in this temple. Why would God choose anywhere else? And they are right. The temple was thought to be the place that God dwelled, so they weren't wrong in their assumptions. And to all their awe-filled gawking, Jesus says, All these things you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left on another. All will be thrown down. Jesus is such a buzzkill, right? You're like, ugh. Come on, man. Here they are just admiring a very beautiful building, and Jesus is like, better look at it now. It's all going to be dust. What I find so interesting about this moment in the text is the next question they ask. They ask, when? I'd like to think I would ask some other questions first, right? I think my first question would be, why? Why? How? Look at this place, 40-foot stones. How is this going to happen, Jesus? We don't have a, a concept of how this could be dust, right? Maybe even a clarifying question. What are you talking about, Jesus? But the disciples ask, when? When will this be? And tell me the signs to look for so I can be prepared. If the temple is considered the literal, actual house of God, the fall of the temple means that God will leave the building. This is bad news. This is not good news. This is bad news. They want to know how much time they have before God pieces out. The end of all things is coming. Give me a timeline, Jesus. Also, I don't really want to be riddled with anxiety, so give me a few hints on what to look for as it's on the way, right? Jesus does not help them here with their anxiety and fear in this moment. He says, people are going to tell you they know, but they don't know. Everything will crumble. It's going to feel like the end. And they're like, thanks? It's literally the first time they asked a question and got the answer to the question they had asked, and it was not what they wanted to hear. The answer Jesus tells us and the disciples is that what they are looking at at the same time, the disciples and Jesus, 
They are not seeing the same thing as they are looking at the same thing. Author Debbie Thomas said it really well, so I'm going to just quote her here. She said, what the disciples see is an architectural marvel, but it's also the biggest, boldest, and most unshakable symbol of God's presence they're capable of imagining. For them, these massive stones hold religious memory. They bolster a colonized people's identity. They offer the faithful a potent symbol of spiritual glory, pride, and worthiness. In short, what takes their breath away as they gaze at the temple is the religious certainty and permanence those stones display to the world. Jesus see? He sees ruins, rubble, destruction, Fragility, not permanence. Loss, not glory. Change, not stasis. Jesus sees that all and buckle and end before new life and new hope will emerge. He sees the necessity of death before the promise of resurrection. And that brings us to the big old scary part of the gospel story, right? The scary list of scary things written in the early second century that somehow also may or may not be happening right now. Things are going to fall apart, Jesus says. Check. Nations will rise up against each other. Check. There are going to be wars and insurrections. Check and check. Earthquakes, famines, plagues. Who knew that one was a thing we were going to have to talk about? Check, 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 right? So what are we supposed to do with this, right? What does Jesus say after scaring the heck out of the disciples, and if we're honest, us too here? Again, Debbie Thomas says it perfectly. Do not be terrified, Jesus says, when the earth shakes and nations make war and imposters preach alluring gospels of fear and resentment and hatred. Don't give in. Don't give in to despair. Don't capitalize on chaos. Don't neglect to bear witness. God is not where people say God is. God does not fearmonger. God does not sensationalize. God doesn't thrive on human dread. Let that one just sit for a hot second. God does not thrive on human dread. Fear-mongering and the end of the world as we know it are front-page news literally every day. And if this is some kind of checklist, then good gosh, we would be in trouble, right? But it is not. It's a reminder that this world is broken and the worst things we can imagine, and some even we can't, will happen. They are already happening. I don't need to tell some of you this. You know it. Even this temple, Jesus says, which seems so strong and so stable and so beautiful, even this can crumble into nothing. But this is a big one. God will not. I think it's important to note on Apocalypse Sunday that the word apocalypse does not mean what we think it means. It literally means an unveiling or a revealing. It does not mean the end of all things. And when we understand that, it changes the question from when will this happen and what can we look for to, well, what is being revealed then? When everything falls apart, 
when it all crumbles around us, when it feels like there is nothing left and our false idols and institutions and buildings and people and all the things we have held in the highest regard fall, crumble to nothing, God is who remains. That changes this text for me. All of a sudden, it's not so scary. It becomes not a threat, but a promise. God stays. Trusting that God's spirit is alive and present, even in the midst of the worst things this life has to dole out, is an act of faith. It is the single biggest challenge for us as people of faith. We are tasked with being faithful even when it is all crumbling, because it will all crumble. Now, faithfulness does not mean going to church every Sunday and praying every morning and reading your Bible. It means maybe you have an inkling that something is God. That's enough. That's enough. The challenge for us is to not fall into despair or hopelessness in the midst of all the things crumbling around us. It is exhausting to watch things fall apart, to, to see them fall apart, to feel them fall apart, to witness war and violence, to see and experience climate disasters, to watch our siblings in Christ be persecuted for their race or their gender identity, to observe systems and institutions fall apart and lose power. It is exhausting. It really does feel like no stone is being left on another. It is exhausting. Hopelessness and despair, if I'm honest, are the easier things. I know you need me to be faithful, Jesus, but I'm tired and it's gray week in brown fall and Minnesota is the worst at smooth transitions and my sab lamp is not cutting it and the news is not feel good and I think I'd rather just crumble with the rest of it. Thank you very much. I've made a nest. I'm going to stay there a while. It takes effort and no small amount of it to see things crumbling as birth and not death. To trust that this isn't the end, but a new beginning. It is no small thing. And just like birth, there is pain and great joy. Author and speaker Brené Brown once said she used to think God was an epidural, but came to realize that God is a midwife. God is not an escape from the pain, but standing with us in it saying, push, you can do it. It's so beautiful on the other end. This is hard stuff, this life of faith. It is hard to remain faithful, to stay together, to stay in it. I get why it's easier to just bow out. Heck, I consider bowing out a couple times a week, if I'm honest. Life is too hard, the pain is too much, things are too scary. It is on those days that all I can do is trust that this is not the end but the beginning, even if I can't see what it looks like on the other side. To trust that when the dust settles and I'm standing in the rubble, God will be there too. It is not a threat, 
but a promise. And it's enough. Amen. Jan Richardson is a poet and author who writes these beautiful blessings. We use them, use them quite often here at Prince of Peace. She has one um, for this Apocalypse Sunday um, called A Blessing When the World is Ending. So receive this blessing by author Jan Richardson. Look, the world is always ending somewhere. Somewhere the sun has come crashing down. Somewhere it has gone completely dark. Somewhere it has ended with the gun, the knife, the fist. Somewhere it has ended with a slammed door, the shattered hope. Somewhere it has ended with the utter quiet that follows the news from the phone, the, tele the television, the hospital room. Somewhere it has ended with a tenderness that will break your heart. But listen, this blessing means to be anything but morose. It has not come to cause despair. It is here simply because there is nothing a blessing is better suited for than an ending. Nothing that cries out more for a blessing than a world falling apart. This blessing will not fix you. It will not mend you. It will not give you false comfort. It will not talk to you about one door opening when another closes. It will simply sit itself beside you among the shards and gently turn your face toward the direction from which the light will come, gathering itself about you as the world begins again. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.